some of our normal editorial and general staff. Hi, I'm Lily, and I'm the comics editor. Hi, I'm Jill. I'm the finance person. I'm Leanne. I do prose. Uh, and today we are talking about female characters. We're kind of staying away from the term strong female character, I think, because it's got so much, like, weird, horrible baggage of being, like, misused and then made fun of and then whatever. But we want to specifically talk about what makes a female character that we like because there is just like a ton of weird politics around it there's a ton of like angst (laughs) a lot of angst so we thought that would be something we could probably talk about for about nine years and uh get a pretty good conversation going about we've also done um panels and stuff at conventions and when we discuss writing in the female gaze g-a-z-e how to write a good female character pretty much always comes up. And, mm. and it's usually from a woman, too, who's like, how do I write a strong female character without her seeming cliche or flat? I think it's a really terrifying concept for a lot of people um, because it's been done badly so often because it's there's a lot of politics there. And I'm pretty sure we've talked about it in a former podcast. And if we uh, haven't, my, my best anecdote on that is that one of our creators, I'm not going to say which one, uh, who's, who's been a friend of mine for a long time, had an actual aversion to reading stories with female characters in it. She she is definitely a feminist. We would talk a lot about feminism in media, but she's like, yeah, I just I can't get into books with female protagonists. They just they turn me off for some reason. And so when she came around to kind of pitch us something, she actually pitched a story with uh, a couple of guys in the lead, and we were like, you know, you complain about not being able to sort of stomach female characters. How about you fix that by writing some yourself? And so we gender swapped her cast. And it came out great. Like, <laughs> it really sort of gave new light to the story and kind of pushed her as a writer to do something a little different. So, so yeah, it's, it's a good example of how, like, someone who found the idea challenging rose to the challenge and, and did something cool with it. Yeah, and actually, um, that's a really good exercise for anyone that if they're, you know, if, if all they can think about is like, oh, this is a woman, I don't. Uh, you know, I don't know what to do. And you know, I think of all these feminine traits pop into my head. If they're more comfortable writing men and if they tend to write, I don't know, like better, well-rounded humans the, who are men because of, you know, that's kind of the, the standard paradigm that's been given to us by, you know, mainstream media and, and Hollywood and everything. It's all the, all the layered and complicated characters are men. Then you can do that and then just gender swap the person at the end. And then, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you make small changes because usually, you know, Maybe their job is, their position in their job is slightly different if they are, um, you know, if their gender is different. Maybe their relationship with their family is slightly different. Cause they're, you know, it, a complete gender swap doesn't always work. Um, but you can usually do at least a three quarters gender swap, swap. So most of the character stays the same. Yeah. And then you start thinking about little things that they, that might change slightly, but you're not starting from this ball of anxiety filled with like, feminine cliches you're like what do i even do ah, i'm so stuck <laughs> yeah well I, mean, I think i think part of it is that like you know the the human experience is like three quarters the same no matter what you yeah you know what i mean <laughs> like like not 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 identical obviously but like three quarters of the problems a person can have anybody can have you know yeah struggling with money struggling with bosses struggling with relationships struggling with parents like all of that stuff is is gonna overlap no matter yeah, sort of yeah. what your gender is and I mean, clearly, but, you know, there's there's gendered stuff in there, but I mean, it's almost yeah. like the, the the icing on the cake, and the cake is the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it affects um, personal psychology in a lot of ways because even if, like, let's say you're a woman living in a man's world, which is true for a lot of us, it's not necessarily the way society definitely treats you differently in a lot in a lot of ways. Um, sometimes they're major ways, and sometimes it's just a shit ton of microaggressions, for example. But it's kind of sometimes the way that you think of yourself and where you, where you are, what your place is among everyone, approval that you want from certain other people. Like, I think that stuff can be built into a character. I think that works really well afterwards. So if, if you, like, let's say you're a woman and you're writing a female character and you start with a male character and then you gender swap them. I think once you have this kind of setup, it's this kind of person, and then you gender swap into your own gender, it's a little bit like, well, how would I feel in that position? 
you know? Like, if I were in this, you know, if I were the head military commander of the army, and I were me, then all of a sudden you might start thinking about the sort of natural issues that you always think about as a woman now in the uh, in the head of this female character. So, because I think a lot of it is how, it's how you see yourself, too, is a big factor. Because I think most people are very, if they're not white, male, straight, then they're, whatever they are that deviates from that female, non-white, uh, disabled, not uh, queer, all, all these things, like, that's always kind of stuck in the back of your head because you are constantly being othered. So, like, it's not necessarily something that you think about every second of every day, but it is something that rears up a lot, I think, in situations where it might become an issue. So I, I think I think sometimes doing that, like starting with something that you wouldn't ever imagine yourself as a woman, for example, being in, and then making a male character do that, and then putting yourself in there and be like, how would I feel if I were there? You know, because considering I wouldn't have maybe pursued that myself. I do personally think that a huge percentage of the problem people have writing female characters is the fact that they don't write enough of them. Yeah. Like, I think that there's so much... When you only have, you know, one female character in a group of guys, or just when you're... Even when your cast is just split, like, two-thirds, one-third, or whatever, you know, the fewer female characters you've got, the more pressure is on them to sort of represent good things about your gender. And I just feel like... You know, like, make sure your cast is at least 50-50, you know? If if you're having trouble, just make your cast 50-50. See who you feel like you can comfortably gender swap and do it. Because the more you have women with different personalities interacting with each other, and I mean, it does come back to, like, the Bechdel test, which is such a useful, useful thing. And I think we kind of throw that around sometimes without thinking it all the way through necessarily. But, like, just the idea that you can, that the way to write deep, interesting female characters is to take that pressure off by having a lot of them so that every character's flaws doesn't represent the gender as a whole. It represents that individual because you've got six other female characters to kind of hold up and, and show as different human beings, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I talked to, I, I worked for about a year as the assistant to a Japanese film director who was on a project out here. And so we drove around in the car a lot all, all over LA and just talked <laughs> about <laughs> different things. And his next project, he's typically been a horror director, but his next project had a female protagonist in the lead, and like an important one, this is a big deal. And we talked a lot about sort of how women are represented in media, and one of the things I said to him is, I would rather have no female characters than one female character, because (laughs) when there's one female character she basically automatically becomes the girlfriend, or the love interest, or whatever. And like you said, that burden of you know, representing the gender beat is sort of thrust upon her. And that's that's where you sort of get the, the quote-unquote strong female character cliche because she needs to be spunky and she needs to be, like, a boy's girl and, like, you know, one of the, the dudes, but she still needs to be pretty and she still needs to be, you know, mm-hmm. probably skinny and blonde. And so there's just, there's so much that gets heaped upon that that I'd rather have a story that has no women and then unfortunately sort of therefore becomes somewhat gender neutral and you can as as a viewer project yourself onto any of those characters rather than having to be forced to sort of relate to like the one girl and that's where you just described one of the major appeals of boys love to women right <laughs> <laughs> uh the, the idea yeah. that you could project on any character that when you don't have any women in the story or at the very least you don't have a character who is bogged down with the politics and baggage of being a woman then it's a, it's a little bit of a freer association. And that's not the only reason that a lot of women like boys love, but it is one I've heard many times that the psychology behind that where, um, they just don't want to be pigeonholed. And, and it, I feel like I regret slightly what I was saying earlier. I don't want to imply that if you're othered in society that you're always thinking about how you're othered, but definitely as a woman, I have felt like, especially if I'm surrounded <laughs> by a lot of white men, you become kind of hyper aware of who you are. Um, so, I don't know. I don't think I explained that very well. No, it's just as hard because we're all coming to this shit with our own baggage, too. You know, it's like, <laughs> you can't, you, there's no way to escape it. Everybody's got their stupid fucking baggage that comes with yeah. it and their chip yeah. on their shoulder. And I think that's where a lot of women trying to write female characters and struggling with it comes with comes from because, you know, they want to be sort of freed from that. So it's like, yeah. it's easier to do that on a guy sometimes. And people are also harder on female characters. Like, the shit yeah. that people let their male characters get away with and still, like, you know, think of them as, like, the wooby they want to, like, cuddle and, and snuggle with. Right, and then, yeah. like, you know, 
female character rolls her eyes too many times and she's a bitch, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It ties into what Lillian said about when you only have one. I think that's very true in real life as well. When you have, it's like if the dynamics are off, if, if one person is kind of outnumbered by people who are not like them or like, you know, one woman in a group of a ton of men, um, that's when sometimes the gender difference becomes more pronounced or there's a lot of pressure there to be you know, to be a certain thing, to be a lot of things. Um, I like Becca's idea of the go through and just <laughs> trying to equal up your male and female characters. I think that works pretty well. I mean, these seem like kind of cheap, cheap tricks, but no, but I think those cheap tricks are important. Yeah. And I think it's also the kind of thing where people are yeah. sitting, people are sitting here struggling how to think, mm-hmm. try to think like, Oh, well, I need to fill all these criteria and I need to struggle. I need to make this good and I need to fit it into all these things. Mm-hmm. And that's what's kind of killing it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like people are trying right. so hard to write the greatest female character of all time. And it's like, well, just write six of them. Yeah. And they can all kind of be great and kind right. of suck, you know? And yeah. it may, and also mm-hmm. it's like if you're writing right. in a genre where your characters aren't quite as deep as all that, you can still do this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a good article a while back. Actually, there were, there were two things that I've reblogged through our Tumblr, but it was, it was a while ago for each of them. One of them was actually an interview with one of the animators for Bojack Horseman, which is mm-hmm. this Netflix animated series about a horse who's an actor in Hollywood and is depressed. And I think it was the showrunners who might have been talking about this, how at one point one of their, they came up with a new character who was like, I don't know, it was an agent or something, some sort of secondary character. And they handed it to the character designer and she came back with a female character. Um, it was like a female rhinoceros or something, because they're all sort of animal people. Um, <laughs> and they're like, we didn't really envision this character as a, as a woman. You know, what made you do this? And she's like, well, you know, I wanted to see more women in this. And, you know, there's no reason why she can't be a woman. And they were like, you know what, you're absolutely right. And then since then, they've made like a much bigger effort on the show to have even just background characters, minor stuff, having 50-50 male-female. And if they're thinking, I don't know if this character needs to be a woman, then they make it a woman. Or like, if they can't really figure out like what gender somebody should have, they make them a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of challenging themselves creatively that way. And I, I thought that was really interesting and inspiring. And then... Um, I think the other thing, so the other, the other thing that I reblogged was, it was uh, a little piece talking about writing characters who aren't like yourself. So like, mm-hmm. I know that a lot of white people, understandably and, and rightfully, get really fri- freaked out writing characters of color. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, if you're, if you're not differently able to write in characters that have some sort of disability issue. And it's, it's tough because there is that sort of burden upon you. But basically like the, the, thesis of that particular Tumblr post was, tell the story about the character, not about their struggle, and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're telling a story about black people that's supposed to be like, what it really is to be black, you're probably not qualified to tell that story. <laughs> yeah. you are. But if you're telling a story about a black person who is on the swim team, and like, <laughs> yeah. it's all about swimming competition, that's a story you're probably qualified to tell um, mm-hmm. if you know about swimming. And if you can do your research about what might be different for depending on your, your setting and your characters and whatever else is going on. Like if your story's not about the sort of, I don't want to say burden of diversity, but like if that's not really what the meat of your story is, um, having diversity within it should be relatively easy. Mm -hmm. You can, that's an achievable goal. So I think that's the problem with people writing female characters is they're like, anytime that there's a woman, the story needs to be about her being a woman. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, she just needs to be a woman. And then the story can be about her winning the Hunger Games or falling in love with a vampire or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that so, can also be... I think people might also... Sometimes people might also get afraid because they feel like if they're doing something like that, they're kind of either using it as a gimmick because, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, but some male idiots will go and say, oh, you're like the Ghostbusters thing. It's just a gimmick yeah. that they're changing it to females, blah, blah, blah. Or they're pandering to a female audience or something. And it's like... Because they've never been pandered to before. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> you're not pandering to me anymore. You're pandering to someone else. It's <laughs> a little bird meme of, I am uncomfortable when not about me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, sometimes, even if it is trick or something that doesn't feel natural at first, this is a way to start having it feel natural so that eventually you won't have to think about making your characters 50-50 or, or whatever. It will just kind of happen. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, I think if you do something where 
that you know that element where they're not a straight white guy is changed there anything other than that and you don't bring it up at all like it's the kind of story where it doesn't have to <laughs> it doesn't have to be an issue like really at all that can also be very freeing <laughs> for people who would relate to that but mm-hmm. don't want to constantly think about the politics because <laughs> although i personally like writing about people having politics of where they are in relation to you know their relationships with their society with their community with the people around them sometimes it's really nice to just have a bunch of characters doing stuff and it can be very exhausting if you feel different all the time or if you're always kind of aware of how you differ from from the norm to just be able to project yourself onto a character who looks like you but doesn't have to deal with any of that stuff again this is partially why women like boys love uh you know well i I remember hearing both of those complaints from like gay fiction and lesbian fiction of how at first it was all like tragic (laughs) and then they were like well why don't we just hold hands and go to the carnival you know, yeah. and I mean, part of it is like both of those genres are have been so tied to like political movements of the past like forty years. Yeah, but they've sort of evolved along with that, where it's just like you know, no, we don't we don't have to have a tragic lover where everyone's miserable in the end and we can't be together because, well, in real life we kind of can be together, and it's not you know it's less and less of a problem and. We want to read stories about you know two cute gay gay dudes going to the carnival and holding hands, mm-hmm. and they're you know. Like, well, before you go is what I always think of as <laughs> two cute girls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and also, or just there's a gay character and their sexuality never, ever comes up. Like, it's mentioned in yeah. passing, but they don't have a love story. They don't have, you know, yeah. they don't they comment. have, like, you know, they mention their boyfriend or something. Yeah. And then they They're just not, like, hitting on one of the other characters who's their gender. It's just, they, they I've right. seen definitely a more of a call for that, the normalization of queer issues. Like, let's just have characters who are queer and they never... They never deal with it. I, I think what Lillian said was good about if you do a little bit of research so that you're not being tone deaf about it, because um, there have definitely been times where I've read a story about a woman written by a man, and it was like, yeah, like the, her gender was not really an issue, and it was great until she did something where I'm like, whoa, no woman in the world would do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> sometimes, and I, I feel like, oh, your boobs are so much bigger than mine, I want to touch them, that yeah. cliche that they have in, <laughs> like, yeah. manga, and I'm just like... You know, sometimes women will be in bras in front of each other, but no woman in the world will grab another woman's breasts and be like, I wish I had boobs like you, let me, like, like, yeah, they do not assault each or, other. Yeah, yeah, or if you ask a kindergartner, <laughs> yeah. what do you want to be when you grow up, they don't say, I want big boobs, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, like that. Yeah. Like, oh, God. Yeah, the, I'm thinking about when Gynax <laughs> did that show about preschool, and it was like, no, oh, no, man. no. You are not allowed. Something else. I mean, I'm not going to name it because it was something I worked on, but like, and it's actually pretty good. Like 80 percent of the time, and the other 20 percent of the time, it's just like what? It's you know, any of these like, you know, some of them are like moe series or just these series for boys that all the women are girl, like all all the characters are women, and sometimes it can actually be nice because of that representation thing because the characters will have different personalities, but there's always that like 20 percent of ickiness where you're just kind of like (laughs) you don't know. What are you even doing? Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, no one's going to go grab each other's boobs. No one cares about as much about boobs as you do. Yeah. Like, you know, women are used to them. It can be like kind of a sticking point in their life, but they really don't care that much yeah. in the long run. So a little research can go a long way. But again, even if you screw up like that, it's like you're you're going to screw up if you're writing about experience outside of your own. It's not going to speak to everyone. Yeah. Nothing speaks to everyone. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, and also, like, everyone's going to get criticism sometimes, yeah, you know what I mean? Good. And it's better to try than not, uh, because if yeah. you don't try, then we're stuck with, like, you know, white bread protagonists for the rest of our freaking lives. We, we're going to be stuck with that, like, the white dude with the brown stubbly beard forever. Yeah. He's going to be the only hero we get to hear about. Uh, and Yeah, because I think it is, <laughs> like, you know, one of the big problems we need to deal with is we need a wider variety of types of people in positions where they are writing and being published and being the heads of games and right. being the heads of, of movies and stuff. But part of also getting there is like, you know, those people have to grow up wanting to go into that industry. <laughs> so you have to have some kind of right. acknowledgement of them as an audience, um, as a, a kind of character that they can relate to or just, you know, at the very least, think of the cosplayers, you know, their kids. Like, think about <laughs> yeah. what Steven Universe has done. For people of all oh, yeah. <laughs> colors, shapes, sizes, and cost for cosplay purposes, like you can be anyone. We found actually that Lumpy Space Princess from Adventure Time, Adventure Time, ended up being the go-to cosplay for somebody who, of any shape, size, or color. You could just be Lumpy Space Princess because she's a purple cloud. So basically, <laughs> people would dress up 
in like a floofy purple ball gown and get like a purple wig. And sometimes they'd go in purple face, but you know, they didn't have to. And they'd wear the little mm-hmm. star on their forehead and everybody's like, oh, it's late, late, uh, lumpy space princess. And nobody was like, that's not yeah. an authentic lumpy space princess. Cause unless you're like walking around in a bunch of rolls of toilet yeah. paper. Uh, good luck being an authentic lumpy yeah. space princess. She's a floating yeah. cloud with an angry <laughs> face on it, but. It's one of the things I really like about Homestuck as well is, yeah. mm-hmm. is sort of like the flexibility that a million people in gray face paint has given to sort of the cosplay community in terms of like how you interpret characters or just the style itself, you know, of, of the comic that's so simple. And that has deliberately been like, I'm not going to specify whether, you know, John Egbert is half Asian or, or whatever. Um, it's really been fun to see what people come up with for that. Yeah. Um, it's one of the reasons why I like that fandom so much is, is just the space for people to kind of reinterpret things. And I think it's brought a huge amount of diversity to the fandom in ways that I think are, are really influential and, and will be influential years down the line mm-hmm. so yeah so i think we should talk about uh female characters that we like yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> or are there ones that have inspired us over time um, and i'm not gonna start <laughs> oh crap <laughs> oh and i'll start with the old ones since i'm the oldest <laughs> so ones that i used to love when i was growing up was Shira <laughs> and xena so i i did love the stereotypical tough girl badass whatever but because they were the focus of their own shows, and especially Xena, because it went over so many seasons and had lots of other female characters, too. Mm-hmm. I just thought, like, she's badass, but she doesn't, it's not like she has no emotions, mm-hmm. and it's not like she's never made mistakes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I like that she was a bit of an asshole sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but she was one of my favorites. Well, I mean, I think you're in good company there. A lot, yeah. <laughs> you know. Zena's <laughs> yeah. like one of the, you know, we we watched some of that like a couple of years ago, and it really holds up. It's so entertaining. It's, yeah, I, really? I was afraid of watching it again. Well, but, it's, uh, it's always yeah, a little bit amazing. kitschy, but oh, I mean, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. If, if oh, you, it's so kitschy, but it doesn't, you know, it's it, it, it embraces that. that. Yeah, like if you don't want to watch something campy, you're not going to watch Xena. But it's just, you know, yeah. you can kind of just buy into it. It's really entertaining. And compared to the Hercules, too, because at, at the time I watched Hercules, too. But Xena is way better. You know, and it also, the show has a fair amount of diversity in it. I mean, I don't watch that much TV now. But <laughs> compared to a bunch of the sitcoms that came like 10 years after it or whatever, it had way more people of color. Maybe because, you know... It wasn't, it wasn't it? They're not in Hollywood. Yeah. They, they did it in, you know, Australia, New Zealand. So it's like, they did have lots of, like, native, uh, New Zealanders and Australians with, like, really weird accents. (laughs) Because they were trying to sound like they didn't have an accent, but they, they did. Oh, you get those amazing mishmash accents. I love those. I personally, my favorite female character of all time is Sarasa from Basara. Um, mm. <laughs> like, I, it's almost a cliche, cause this again is really old, like kind of old. It's like really the 90s. <laughs> but Basara, which you can still get for Viz's digital line, um, is like a 20 something volumes epic that Japan loved in the 90s about post-apocalyptic Japan where a girl who's her twin brother is supposed to be the, the boy who he's like, they're peasants and they're supposed to rise up against the evil kingdom and, you know, bring peace to the land and, and revolution. And he gets murdered really early, <laughs> like chapter two. And she basically puts on his clothes and is like, no, 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 you killed my sister who was pretending to be me. I am, you know, I'm the boy of legend. And she basically in drag, um, is leading her, leading the peasant revolt. And then she secretly fought, like when she's not in drag, when she's like dressed like a girl in a, you know, bathing in a lake, she bumps into this guy who she has kind of like crazy sexual tension with, um, who's also kind of in street clothes. He's like, I don't want to talk about my life either. And then he goes back and of course he's the evil king that she's rising up against. Who's right. like, I'm going to kill that boy. You know, <laughs> it is the best. <laughs> it is the literal best. And I mean, like, it has all of these trappings of these like, oh, it's an epic storyline, therefore it's going to be dry, and it is like the opposite. Every single volume made me simultaneously cry and want to go like take on the world. It's so inspiring. <laughs> and part of what I really love about it is some of these traditionally feminine qualities that are used to kind of, you know, Sarasa is always kind of dealing with gender and a little bit of, you know, because she's kind of hiding her gender and kind of dealing with these sexualized heterosexual feelings outside for this guy she doesn't know who of course she's going to try and kill it brings up stuff like self-sacrifice um being able to take shit and work with it 
being empathetic. These are all things that people associate a lot of the time with femininity, but almost never in fiction and almost never in a positive way. Like the fact that she was basically handed a terrible situation and was like, nah, I'll work with it instead of being like, I'm going to rise above it and be, she's like, no, no, I'll, I'll take what I got and I can, I can do this kind of thing. <laughs> um, the fact they said every time she goes on the battle, like leads a war party under the battlefield, she's crying because she's thinking about all the people who are going to die and how that's why people wanted to die for her. You know what I mean? So many of these things yeah. that are just aren't used in these epic fantasies as shown and shown as a good thing, but they're shown as being why she's amazing. Yeah, also the fact that she doesn't have pride, the fact that she's willing yeah. to like get on her knees and begs for something if it's important enough where everyone and all the rest of like these warriors are posturing and being all like, well, I have to show, show a force or whatever. And, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. And it never makes her seem like not a strong person. And also, Yumi Tamara, who did Basada, she's a genius. Her <laughs> stuff is not in English that much, even though she keeps winning awards in Japan because she's just amazing. But she had like a thousand characters of this in this story and tons of men and tons of women. And they were all just really rich, different types of characters. But Sarasa is really, when I think about like, what is a really good female character? This is like leading the peasants to revolution in an epic fantasy that was also completely relatable in like every yeah. every respect and was empowering in all the ways that is not usually seen as empowering you know like you're not the the cleric who's like you know healing people from the back row you're not like the girl that you know the bad guy goes to when they like oh she'll always well okay she does always accept you but because she's like a a general who will always accept you back in her army because it's like the army of the people who had nowhere else to go as opposed to just being like oh now you cry in the girl's lap because you're having your epiphany like <laughs> it's just that's mine i love her so much i love that comic <laughs> lillian so actually the reason why i wanted to go last is this is a really hard question for me because <laughs> i was a great consumer of sort of early ya fiction and so it's it's tough for me to kind of pick a favorite so like some of my earliest influences, like, I love The Last Unicorn as a kid, um, which has Molly Grew, who is mm -hmm. a middle-aged woman who's had a terrible life, who is a major protagonist of that story and an important player. Um, so that was influential. Mm -hmm. um, this is Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, where you yeah. have a mother trying to save her family. Like, that was really influential. Although she's basically the only... No, there's, there's other women in that. She's, you know, there's sort of a, an aunt-like character and then her kids... I don't think there's any women in the rats, which is kind of interesting. That's the discussion for another yeah. day. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Patricia C. Reed is a kind of young adult children's author who did a series called The Enchanted Forest Chronicles, which deals with a variety of different characters, but one of the main ones is a princess named Cimmerine. She's sort of, she's the youngest daughter. She's the different one. She doesn't really fit in with being a princess. So she runs away to go be a princess to a dragon. She, like, runs away to go join the dragons. Um, <laughs> And, you know, basically becomes, like, the housekeeper for a, a relatively powerful dragon and gets involved in this conspiracy with wizards and stuff. But it's interesting because even though it's sort of this... I'm not usually a big fan of sort of the fractured fairy tale type things. It's really like, it's a spin, classic, whatever. Mm -hmm. It has such a sense of humor to it. Simmering is both a sort of, like, a different girl, a different kind of girl, quote-unquote. You can't see me doing finger quotes on Skype. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um but at the same time kind of plays into certain aspects of femininity. So like in book three, at that point she's married and pregnant and basically has to like go on a quest to find a magical sword while she's like seven months pregnant and has nice. like a big belly. <laughs> and you're like, what other author does that for like yeah. kids? Like how many like pregnant moms are there out there running around in the woods? <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was really great. And like Jane Yolen um, has a bunch of wonderful uh, books with kind of interesting and sort of mystical female protagonists. Mm. Tamora Pierce, I was a big fan. Yeah, I was going to bring up Tamora Pierce, too. <laughs> um, so those are those are classics. And then, when you started moving into, like, the anime and manga side of things, I think the person who I always come back to, like, I've never really done much cosplay. I've been, like, two people who I've cosplayed as. I've always wanted to do a Sailor Jupiter cosplay. Um, <laughs> not just because I have a fluffy brown ponytail, and I think that'd be easy, but, like, she's a great character who is both very strong and then kind of struggles with her femininity in some ways because because of her strength people don't see her within the series necessarily as particularly girly yeah. um and i liked how she struggled with that and i think all of the characters in sailor moon are, are interesting and have these interesting little conflicts but hers was the one that particularly spoke to me for some reason Mm. Um, she loves baking, she loves flowers, she loves all these girly things. And then she's able and more than happy to kick your ass. Mm. 
I thought that was just a really great dichotomy. Hmm. Oh gosh, so many of mine have been covered, but I mean, like, if, like I don't want to go necessarily all the way back to childhood because, uh, I mean, my favorite book was Matilda growing up. Yeah, and she's a wonderful female character who, like, basically the entire book is her outsmarting people, which is <laughs> really great when you're a kid. <laughs> and just you know, it's like Matilda outsmarts her stupid parents. Matilda outsmarts her <laughs> stupid teacher. <laughs> <laughs> it's like chapter by chapter, which is super fun. You read a lot of Tamora Pierce these days, yeah? I mean, I haven't for a while. Like, Tamora Pierce, the one that I really liked were the Protector of the Small series. I thought that that mm. was really interesting, and, and I found that that lead character more relatable than a lot of the other ones, personally. Just, yeah. And I really liked, I mean, you know, Tamora Pierce is known for dealing with, like, teenage sexuality in a way <laughs> direct like, way. <laughs> well not even just really direct but like realistic yeah. and I mean the problem yeah. with the girl that the girl has in that is that she'll kind of like fall into this relationship and then like the war will take her away for six months and she'll come back yeah. and she'll be like I'm not really feeling it anymore <laughs> you know like <laughs> which I think is kind of uh you know so she ends up in a couple of these sort of like hot to cold relationships with various people and then you know it doesn't really end up I mean I guess uh, spoilers doesn't really end up with anyone in the end mm. and it's it's never really about romance romance kind of happens and she kind of Mm -hmm. tries it out a little bit. Also, like, you know, Tamora Pierce's books, like, a lot of them I'll really, really enjoy, and then there'll be, like, one major plot point or one major issue with it, Mm -hmm. and I'll be kind of like, oh, you kind of killed it for me, but that series, (laughs) not at all. That series is great. Stop dating your teachers, stop dating much older men, like... Yeah, but not even even those sorts of things, just like... You didn't really handle those racial politics all as well as you think you did. Yeah. I mean, you can really tell that she's an author who's been working since, like, the early 90s. Yeah, Um, yeah. I I think... I wouldn't say that she's, like, a reflection of her time, but she's... I think she's one of the first uh, authors to really handle some of this stuff, and so it comes off awkwardly in some Mm -hmm. of the earlier books. Like, I think she gets better at it. And she's definitely someone who engages with the fandom, and it seems like she's always learning. Yeah, um, yeah. which I think is the other important thing. It's like, yeah, I follow you know, whenever you're writing characters that aren't like you or, or aiming for diversity, you're gonna screw up. Yeah, you're not gonna make everybody happy. Somebody's gonna get mad at you, and how you deal with it and how you learn from that, I think, is a big part of like what makes a successful creator these days. Yeah, um, if you're just like, well, uh, I'm sorry, your feelings got hurt. Like, no, it's <laughs> not the right. <laughs> Sir. Yeah, yeah. In terms of manga, I love Skip Beat and I love Love Com as two comedies starring women who are like totally just out there and wacky. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, like I think Love Com has some of the most solid manga comedy ever. And yeah. it's funny because, like, well, okay, I'm really deep in Fury Road fandom just to, as an FYI for everyone. Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, Mad Max. Yeah. Everybody should be. As everybody yeah. should be. And it's wonderful. And everyone who wants to come on social media and talk to me about it, I would be very happy to. Mm. But, uh, so obviously, uh, I will throw Furiosa up there <laughs> along yeah. with other, uh, awesome female characters. Yeah. But there's, you know, uh, in that fandom, there's a lot of meta and a lot of people sort of like, super analyzing little bits of world building and character development and that kind of a thing. And there's also obviously been kind of a lot of um, comparisons between that movie Avengers and Age of Ultron and What's-Her-Face, Black Widow, and, you know, how there are these quotes from the... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not really up on Avengers, so I apologize for not remembering the actress's name, but, uh, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson just talking about how, like, you know, being directed, like, no, your face is all ugly, your face is all ugly, you know, don't let your face mm-hmm. be ugly while you're doing these incredible stunts, and how there are so many screen caps of Furiosa with, like, like, horrifying ugly face, and some of them were used for, like, promotional images and stuff <laughs> like that, and how much it's, it's sort of freeing to see somebody kind of, like, have such a, like, like allowing women to have weird, awkward, horrible faces, and to tie that weirdly uh-huh. enough to Lovecom, Lovecom has some of the greatest face faults I've ever seen in my yeah. life. <laughs> you know, faces. just in terms of like these great, like you know, single panels of like the, disgust. The main character with just like her her <laughs> mouth like falling to the side and drooping and drool coming out of it, and like like weird eyes. It just you know, in terms of 
letting your female characters be ugly in the moment because they're not always there to be pretty. They're a human being. Yeah. Just like, you know, like, let your women be ugly. And yeah. and I think that that comic does such a great job with that. And Skip Beat Skip does, Beat. too. With anything that Yoshiki Nakamura does. Yeah, like, Skip Beat allows her characters to be crazy in a yeah. way that a lot of other people full on don't bad like shit just insane. full on like i am seeing spirits and i am gonna hit you with this mallet that i that is a personification of my rage yeah. and like like yeah talk about characters who are allowed to be angry i mean skip beat is the comic about revenge i mean yeah. if we had to really talk about my favorite series of hers tokyo crazy paradise is gonna win oh. uh because that comic is amazing we'll never get it in english <laughs> Lily remembers the day when i used <laughs> oh yeah back in the days of tokyo oh, yeah. pop i was like you have to license this and I wouldn't you draw it. <laughs> yeah. It's not like we disagreed. It's just, yeah. yeah. It's just, it's, it's not, yeah. Limitation of the, the U.S. manga market. Yeah. yeah. And her art yeah. just wasn't good. Back, it it improved a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah. her art has always had its moments, and it's like, it'll be one of these things where you have, like, an incredibly beautiful panel, and then some person with proportions that don't make any goddamn sense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, her men are, were drawn weird. They, they're still a little weird, but, um. Yeah, and I mean, her her stuff is always super weird. Everything about it is weird, and it, it it drops into some some sexist tropes sometimes. You know, she'll get a little bit too much of the the romance novel villain, but there's always just so much pure enthusiastic fury driving her main female characters that yeah. like I can forgive a lot. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are great. Sorry, really quick. Um, for a good female character who was not written by a woman whom I always liked in anime manga, I loved Lena Inverse from The Slayers growing up. Um, <laughs> because she was sort of one of these comedy leads that was just like, oh, I take what I want and I blow things up and like, fuck all y'alls. But she had that duality that she's like, no, no, like, I'm still a girl. I'm still dainty and pretty. Call me pretty, you son of a bitch. Like, you know, she'd <laughs> blow up a village and she'd be like, like, was I cute when I did that? Like, and somebody's like, you're not cute at all. And she, like, punches them in the face. She's like, I'm cute. Don't you ever say that to me again. <laughs> like, it was this weird, um, and I've seen this in, in Japanese media a lot, that kind of duality. Like, I want to be tough and I want to be pretty. But it was so <laughs> funny. And it didn't feel forced at all. Um, she had weaknesses. She had things that she was genuinely insecure about. And some of them stemmed from kind of this femininity stuff. But it never, like, I really liked her. And, and it was not a shoujo. And that was not written by a woman, but, like, she was, like, my fucking hero in terms of, like, my anti-hero, I guess you could say. <laughs> She's not someone to emulate. No. Which is part of, part of the reason why I really like um, Letera by um, Kosen, which Kosen. is running on our site right now, which has kind of a similar vibe to the Slayers, which is, like, this kind of bratty witch who ends up being cursed um, because she's just so horrible treating everyone really badly. And now she has a, a curse on her body that every time she uses magic, it will, like, slowly kill her. And, you know, she's, but then she starts becoming a slightly better person, but now she can't, when she casts magic to help other people, it's still killing her. Like, so how is her path of redemption going to really work? It has a lot of a similar appeal of Slayers, but I think it's like a little bit darker. The, um, it, like, it's funny, but it's also like, you know, kind of fucked up in, in ways that Slayers took a long time to get to. Like, uh, Letita starts a lot darker than, you know, Slayers made an entire series to get to be like, hey, you're fighting one seventh of Satan. Which makes sense if you, if you read, uh, we worked on the Slayers novels for a while, the magic system is really fascinating, but, um, you're always fighting slivers of Satan. Yeah, and think about how often you get female anti-heroes. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's another thing that people just don't, mm-hmm. and I think that is partially tied to the fact that we are willing to forgive male characters a lot more than we're willing to forgive female characters, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to have, a female character who's kind of unrepentantly awful and sell it to your audience, I think. Yeah, outside of the... <laughs> except for the hot bitches uh, archetype where, like, in a high school you have the mean girls, which yeah, but kind you, of... They don't tend to... I mean, like, I've there have been twists on that, obviously, but they don't tend to be... Like, they tend to be unrepentantly villains. Sometimes their hangers-on will change sides, but, like, you know, the head bitch of the high school usually ends the story being the head bitch of the high school. Yeah, that's and, true. You know, they're not very, um, they're not layered. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to hate her. She's a villain. She's not an anti-hero. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. It makes me want to watch Jennifer's Body again, which doesn't necessarily fix that, but at least it's kind of an interesting spin on it. Have you ever seen that? No, I read a lot of interesting analyses of it, though. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a trip. So, and I, I love Amanda Seyfried. Jill, do you want to say more? You haven't said much. There's actually a manga that I, I just wrecked to other people again. Uh, from far away, 
which mm, I don't know if you guys have read. It's actually, it's so good. Like, it's a shoujo romance. Um, girl gets swept away to another world. Yeah. We've seen it all before. <laughs> but the main character is written so well. Like, she's a normal human high school girl. She doesn't automatically know how to speak the language so she has to speak she has to spend like two volumes just learning how to talk to people nice <laughs> um she gets picked up by this you know guy who has like superhuman strength because he's like kind of a cursed guy or whatever and then they have to go on to save the world from something but her character is like until the very end where they kind of figure out why she was sent there she's just normal she has no special powers right. she's not super smart or super I don't know, super strong. She's not super anything, but she just goes along, does what she wants. Doesn't take crap, but she's also realistic. It's not like she like stands up yeah. to people and then yeah. gets pushed around. Gets somebody sometimes. else to save her, you know? Like mm-hmm. she'll sometimes she'll be like, you know what? I can't handle this, so I'm gonna run away. <laughs> Though I mean, the writing is just so great in that. I love that off, but that's mm-hmm. the only one that's over here done by yeah. Viz, and I think you can get it digital too. So yeah, that I was recommend. older. I feel like that. Might have. It is older, and it it was um, Hikawa Kyoko is the Kyoko Hikawa is the author or the mangaka, and about halfway through she got she injured her hand, oh, and for a long time the story just stopped, and everybody was like, "Why? When are you coming back? Oh my god!" It was like uh, like a year and a half or something, and then she'd like come back and write one chapter, and then go off for like another six months, and it was just crazy to have to wait for it, but it turned really. <laughs> It was a really good story. And actually, if anybody knows Japanese, I'd recommend all her stories. They're mm-hmm. all good. <laughs> cool. And they all have good female characters. Yeah. The, the, that's the one thing that I will say portal stories tend to get a little bit better, which is like, it's a girl in another world, which was really big in like the 90s. <laughs> um, I mean, I think yeah. we're all thinking, wouldn't it have been nice if Miyaka had done all of the things just well, to just <laughs> Okay, I think Shigigi is amazing, but not because of her, and not because, like, it, it's amazing in, in a lot of other ways that this is areas that other girl in other world stories would not dare have gone. Like all the, the, the crazy ass sexual politics. They were really rapey. Don't get me wrong, but like, uh, and all the action and just the number of people who die in it. It's kind of shocking. But, um, I think a little bit about, uh, he told me from Escaflona, which again was not like specifically a shoujo, but was really female, yeah. you know, female appealing and that she was a normal girl, but she had one special power, which was like great, except she would constantly fuck it up and was put in situations where she was in over her head and her bodyguard was a kid, you know, Vaughn was her age and was also constantly in and over his head, in over his head. So you have the local and the person with this, you know, he had a superpower too, kind of, he could control Escaflone. And they're just constantly in wars where they're like, oh fuck, oh shit, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, oh, oh that's right, he is Angel Wings. That's a spoiler from like 1996. <laughs> Whatever, that shows up in probably the fifth episode. So. Yes, it, it, it was at the very end of episode four. I have Escafloni memorized, but, um. Yeah, that, all, all, all those, uh, Because I've seen Escafloni a lot, but I don't have it that, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, that That's wasn't really. Yeah, like, what kind of moved them forward was they each had a special power, and then he was not afraid of anything, and she was the realist yelling in his ear, like, okay, right. but now you what have to stop. What the fuck are you doing? Stop jumping off that cliff, you asshole. <laughs> it's like, whatever, mm-hmm. we can fly, kind of. <laughs> Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and I think a lot of portal stories were kind of good because they were specifically trying to get, like, the average girl from whatever, you know, school, the average school girl of whatever country this story originates in, and then put her in an extraordinary Mm -hmm. circumstance. And yeah, some people do it poorly, like Shigyugi Miyaka is not a good character at all. And clearly yeah. from far away did it very God. well. No, I really feel like it's 1998 because we're, we're making fun of Miyaka from Fushigi. <laughs> <laughs> right? that, that uh, there's actually an Otome game. My favorite Otome game as well is a, is the same kind of thing. Portal story. Normal high school girl gets sent away, sent out to, um, historical three kingdoms in China. And yeah. then she doesn't angry? have any special powers, but she gets sent there by a magic book. So the book is magic. And because of that, she kind of has to, she's treated like a, a war strategist. <laughs> and there's three armies that are trying to like get her so they can win wow. the war. Wow. It's pretty wow. awesome. Which game is this? This is Sengoku Se- uh, Rensenki. Oh, right. The new, I was like, that doesn't sound like Angelique. Cause I thought that. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I like Angelique. It's not exactly the deepest character yeah. game. Yeah. Ne- neither is real Rode, but I like that. The ultimate girl gets oh, sucked into an RPG and she's like yes. and her her That's weapon amazing. is a PSP or something. Nice. <laughs> and it's an actual RPG, it's not like a visual novel. 
Yeah, yeah. I liked Rollout. <laughs> it's a fun game, but... It's great. I wish they would re-release it on Vita. Yeah, because PS2. Well, so, I mean... If there's more contemporary recommendations that we have... <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, I recommend everyone get into Fury Road fandom with me and talk about it with me a yeah, lot. Yeah, actually, it's <laughs> Fury Road, because it's a movie. You can watch it in two hours, but the, the fandom is really interesting, and the implications... Like, there was something like 12... I think they, they passed the Bechdel test times six. There were 12 women on screen at once. Yeah. And they were all talking and none were talking about a man. Yeah. And it's, it's true that my, my, my most recent two fandoms, like that, uh, Fury Road and Homestuck both feature very close to 50-50 casts of men and women, basically. And yeah. I think that's part of what makes them strong. And I mean, Homestuck, I think, is really interesting in that the way that they introduce characters in that, because, you know, if you don't know Homestuck, uh, it's, you can't describe it in a podcast in two sentences, but mm. they introduce characters by basically showing that person in their bedroom and explaining what all their interests are. So if you want to talk about, like, something that's, you know, I, I feel like it's one of these series where the characters have a lot of autonomy right from the beginning, and mm-hmm. none of the characters are going to be defined by their relationship with somebody else more than they're defined by who they are and what these little horrible nerds are into and what they're doing. And, you know, a lot of them have important relationships, obviously, with, I mean, whether it be, like, romantic or friendship or whatever, but the main sort of focus is on that person as an autonomous person and the the choices that they make and they can kind of bounce off of whoever they're around and it works, you know? So it, it's, uh you don't end up with a lot of these characters who were kind of written where the purpose of them was to be an appendage to somebody else, you know? Yeah, to be the love interest or be like the motivating factor, like the woman in the refrigerator or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, from the first moment these people are introduced, you know that they're really into furry porn and coding and, <laughs> uh, you know. Which often go hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're different characters in the case of Homestuck. So, yeah. you know, you, you can be into furry porn and, and be a different person than the person who's into coding. So. Uh, Anyways. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it, you, you can't just feel like, oh, read Homestuck, because it's, it's you need to, like, direct someone of how to read Homestuck a little bit, but, you know. I just say don't give up. Don't give up. Yeah, that's the main thing. Don't give up. I, I got, try, I, try and go in as unspoiled as possible, if it is possible, in the age of the internet, because yeah. I think part of the fun is the revelation. But yeah, there's it's, it's a slog, but it's a very rewarding one, I think. Yeah. The ways in which it pays off, both allowing you to consume... A whole new and crazy part of internet fandom, mm-hmm. and then the ways in which I think it's impressive just as a story in and of itself, as like a creation. I think that yeah, it's it's it really shouldn't be missed. And it so. also it also lends itself to some of the best fan fiction AU's I've ever read in my life. Just oh, because God, yeah. of the you know the, the way the, the yeah story. the nature of the story lends itself so well to AU's, and there are some like such incredible ones that are basically just like full length novels of borrowed characters but their own entire plot lines it's great yeah so (laughs) so so tying on to sort of the contemporary fandom stuff i would say like the thing that i at least think is interesting even if it's flawed is jupiter ascending and i think we might have talked about the previous that like it is like you took the crazy shoujo manga that you loved when you were 12 and then made a movie out of it with a 150 million dollar budget yeah like (laughs) so over the top and so just like bonkers off the wall with stuff. And while there isn't, I don't think it quite, actually I think it does pass the Bechdel test. Probably only barely, but um. It's a little bit twilighty in that there's one character and she's dropped amongst like a lot of uh, men. Although there are there are a couple female characters in there. Yeah, she's she's got a sort of like reincarnated daughter or whatever. They have a little chat about like politics and and space economics. So that's on that level. But I just, in terms of, like, a character who you really haven't seen that much on screen is the Russian immigrant who cleans toilets for a living in yeah. terms of the stars. I'm like, we, I would like to see more of those on screen. Yeah. Kowski <laughs> siblings. Yeah, and also the fact that she, you know, like, Mila, uh, Mila Kunis, I don't know if I remember pronouncing her name right, but she's, like, unbelievably beautiful, right? And, and plenty yeah. of that movie she's wearing, you know, evil space wedding dresses and and even just when she's like in contemporary you know modern america and she's like you know her hair her hair is beautiful and she's got makeup and nails and stuff it still shows her tying her hair back putting on gloves and and scrubbing toilets so she's simultaneously like a frazzled maid but also dresses up nicely when she goes out and that i thought that was really interesting too that you know she's sitting around having dinner with her family after you know you see this montage of her terrible jobs 
And even just sitting with her family, she looks like a million bucks. But, like, not everybody in her family does. Like, some do. Some, yeah, you know, some yeah. are wearing kind of, like, T-shirts and, you know, slouching over the table. It's just, like, this was part of who she was, that she liked to dress up when she wasn't, like, cleaning toilets. And it it felt, especially from a visual perspective, they didn't even go into it all that much. Um, right. That was just, it was like an instant point of characterization. Being hot is a part of who you are. Like, there are different kinds of hot. There, There's, like, attractive by accident. There's attractive because you put so much effort into the way that you look so that you look effortless from every corner, but, like, you know, you, you clearly put a lot of time into it. Like, people aren't just, they don't spring from the womb Hollywood ready. And so much of the time they have... I have mixed feelings about kind of weaponized femininity, but I do think that kind of, like, aggressively hot is also really interesting. And yeah, when you of, actually like, address it. Performing hotness and, like... To the point of almost, like, scaring men with it. Like, it's better, yeah. like, oh, I like the natural look and have no fucking idea how much time and effort goes into the quote-unquote natural look. Oh, yeah. And then if you do, like, the whole winged eyeliner and, like, super heavy eyeshadow, and they're like, oh, that's too much, it's scary. And you're like, damn right it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. But, like, I really like when when stories address that. Uh, Max Matt, Mad yeah. Max Fury Road did that. Like, the hot girls were specifically, like, you know, they were kind of sex slaves, so they were sort of dolled up. Jupiter Ascending, again, kind of addressed that sort of implicitly, that this is part of who she was. She she wants to look nice, you know. And, and there was a lot of about her character wanting something better <laughs> than scrubbing. I mean, who doesn't want better than scrubbing toilets? But addressing that makes your, your women human. Because, like, if they look that way, they probably spent a good chunk of their day either making themselves look that way, that they usually, something that they thought about, that this is something they want to look like, or if they don't look like that, that was a choice that they made. These are all parts of characterization that are very rarely acknowledged, especially in visual mediums like Hollywood that are kind of entrenched in sexism. So, I mean, when people talk about how do I write a female character, you know, sometimes I think they do feel pressured, like, oh, she can't be hot and, and... you know, like I have to have a, a, a wide variety of body types and stuff, and it's like, yeah, I mean, we should all move towards that. But if she's gonna, if you really want to write about a really hot girl, that being hot is a big part of her personality. If it's a big part of her personality, she's a well-rounded character. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's this yeah. default that we don't want that every woman is automatically hot and automatically does these things. No, that's a decision. That or, or the sort of like I think the flip side of that is like the klutzy but still cute mm. sort of. <laughs> oh god. Almost even more distasteful in some ways. <laughs> yeah. And it's something that, like, I get where it comes from, because when I was 12 and 13, that definitely appealed to me. It's that sort of, like, because you're in that ugly duckling face yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And so the idea that you can be, quote-unquote, ordinary and yet still sort of be spectacularly pretty to somebody. But, yeah, but that's that's something I'm a little tired of. Take off the glasses and be... Well, that's the thing, though. Like, I, the the people who are unpolished hot, people who clean up nice, I think that's a really interesting character type. But you have to yeah. actually make them not... They can't just have glasses, that they have, like, a ton of makeup right. and their beautiful body and beautiful clothes and they're just wearing glasses. Do it like Katy Perry's... What was that video where it was, like, last Friday night? Or... Uh, uh, last Friday night. Yeah. Or, or at the beginning of Laura on Host Club, where, like, she yeah. just, like, aggressively doesn't care about her appearance. Yeah. Um... And then, you know, she doesn't even really, it's not particularly interested in being cleaned up. It's just kind of coincidental that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, she's forcibly cleaned up by, uh, via plot device. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now she has to sell her sex, but not her actual yeah. sex. <laughs> not really. I've been watching the third season of Orange is the New Black as well, which is definitely a problematic show on a lot of ways, but it's also a really groundbreaking show on a lot of ways. Yeah, it's, I'm, it's both, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, like, that's actually, they go into quite a bit about sort of what you're describing of how handling your appearance and, like, changing your appearance can be a really interesting character point. Well, it could mm-hmm. happen for a couple of, of characters where it's yeah. like, oh, it's, you know, the job fair. How am I going to dress up to look good for the job fair? Or uh, in season three, I don't think this is a spoiler, but, like, Red wants to get back in charge of the kitchen again and has this little flirtation with one of the, the, the guards and there's this scene of, like, how do I kind of change my appearance a little bit? And Piper, the main character, is like, you know, you could use, like, a lighter lip color and maybe, like, smudge your eyeliner a little bit. And, like, mm-hmm. it just seemed like such a real conversation to have between people. Yeah. Um, I was actually just watching that episode yesterday. So, no, I know what you mean. <laughs> I, I remember watching that and being like, oh, you know, yeah. I, I don't like you all the time, Orange is the New Black, but I like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and so just having that many female characters. That's actually a really yeah. good, that's a really good example of how do I write female characters. Watch Orange is the New Black and you're gonna get ideas. Like, yeah. that show, even though it has problems, 
there's like a million women and they're all totally different. And it's really fascinating from a character, mm-hmm. from like, you know, maybe from an overall construction point of view. Um, and of course yeah. it has, you know, pretty like Piper is unwatchable. Like she, that's the reason I couldn't, I had trouble getting through season one. Yeah, she season was, one was tough because just watching her so and, like yeah, like everyone else was like, everybody oh. Else is so much more interesting than she is. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think even. I mean, the showrunner kind of talks about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, she has, yeah. Like, you you need to have that entry point character, but it's like as soon as you can get rid of her, so yeah, <laughs> it's like the privileged white skinny white lady has to be there, um, yeah, in order. Yeah, to and I think watching people call her underprivileged too. So like yeah. that's another plot of season three. It's like Daya's trying to figure out what to do with her baby, um, and adoption is is kind of coming up, and so she's like she has the opportunity to adopt the baby to a wealthy woman in I don't know the Connecticut or New York suburbs or something. Um, where the hell is Greenwich? Yeah, New York, right? yeah. yeah, we know that. <laughs> I should know this. I'm a New Englander. It's okay. But, uh, yeah, so she has a conversation with, with Piper about, like, what was it like to get raised rich? And Piper's like, I wasn't that rich. And then Daya's like, how many bathrooms did you have? And Piper's like, I don't know, like four or five. <laughs> oh and Daya's like, I didn't even have a bedroom to myself. <laughs> yeah. That's there it. need to be more shows like that. Yeah. <laughs> And it's it's such a good launching place for a lot of people. I think in the way that you said it's groundbreaking. Um, it is something that everyone should watch. Mm-hmm. You know, whether or not you're gonna there are gonna be parts where, you know, I was just like banging my head against the wall. I was like, no, no, no. Sorry. That is a great I'm glad you brought up that show, Lillian. That's a good example. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I finally have like the bandwidth to actually watch T V that's longer than eleven minute episodes of Steven Universe. So <laughs> I've been so fried over the summer that like yeah. So yeah, so I, I've been going back to my TV habits a little bit. Hey, Steven Universe is another one that's like just got an overwhelming number of uh, female characters. That is yeah. so good. Yeah. How is it so? How how are eleven minutes so compelling? Yeah. How do they do so much characterization in so little time? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good really TV fun. now, like, and not just like there's plenty of good cartoons and stuff. But think about female characters in Parks and Rec. Oh, and... I love yeah, like Leslie Nope. Is, yeah, if we're talking about favorite yeah. female characters, she's pretty yeah. far up there. Yeah, yeah just uh, Community has a lot of good female characters in it, even though they don't handle it quite as well. But they have a good fifty-fifty split. They and... they can't figure out what to do with Britta, but you know, yeah, than... yeah, it, it's not unproblematic but again it's like a 50 50 split for the most part and they kind of address a lot of issues and then when they lose some female characters i don't know if you guys have watched it all season six of community but i fucking love frankie like the the new lady who's her what makes her so unusual is she's totally normal i don't it's hard to explain (laughs) but community always does stuff like that and yeah she's like the reasonable person and I, i love her so much like i think she might be like my favorite other than you know who doesn't like like Abed and um I really like Shirley because <laughs> she's closer <laughs> to my age I think I relate I to poor Shirley that. and <laughs> contemporary TV is a pretty good place there's a you know some good there's a lot of good writing in general on contemporary kind of Hollywood TV and a lot of good female characters okay I feel like that's a pretty good rundown yeah I mean we can sit here and literally think about good female characters for a long time and just like go oh this one this one this one and then but mm-hmm. uh, I think we'll leave that to social media. Yeah, I think a lot of people will, I mean, and again, people who are struggling with this, um, besides some of the, you know, exercises that we've talked about, and think about which female characters have really spoken to you over the years, or even male characters have really spoken to you, and you can just gender swap. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah. you could really just do yeah. that. Like, mm-hmm. what what aspects of this person really spoke to you give that aspect to a woman, even if you didn't think you naturally would. So I actually have a really random question, which kind of has to do with that. Do either of you ever have dreams that you're other people? Um, and my classic example is, I I do, and so I've had dreams that I'm Luke Skywalker. <laughs> do either of you, do you have dreams? Because it's apparently unusual. I didn't realize this for a long time, until I was in, like, middle school, and I, like, I discovered that people don't, most people don't do that. <laughs> uh, no, I, sometimes I, mean, I dream I'm watching other people, but, um... Not like, that you are them. No, not generally. You dream that you are Luke Skywalker? That's cute. Oh, wow, oh, absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, interesting. Because I thought that, like, I, I do think that there's a little bit of a connection to, like, a certain sort of creativity in some ways. Mm-hmm. But uh obviously not a direct correlation because you are a much better writer than I am, Maggie. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't, it's, you don't write very much. Like, <laughs> I don't write. 
So I, I liked what you wrote. <laughs> what you wrote, I really enjoyed. So yes, yeah, so what I was thinking was like, I don't know, that's sort of how I empathize with other characters in some ways, is, is putting myself in their shoes to the point that I can do it when I'm unconscious. <laughs> that's kind of amazing. Yeah, that's actually really awesome. It's fun. It's, it's a, definitely a fun quirk about my brain. But yeah, so, I don't know. That was, that was a tangent from your gender swap, your favorite male character and see what happens. Yeah, actually, that brings up to tie into our last podcast about tabletop gaming. Um, if you game, as the opposite gender of who you are, or if you GM and you're doing a character to the, you know, not necessarily opposite, but a different gender from what you are, that, you know, if you, you're having trouble getting the mindset, you can try and game it out. Like, oh, <laughs> although we, we've definitely played with, like, me, you know, for example, men who would exclusively play as female characters and didn't seem to really, like, there, there was no overlap with the female experience. And <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but, but at the same time, that's an important exercise, I think, for people to sometimes be told. Like, nope, that's not what women do. <laughs> like, this is, you know, it, or if you are gaming with someone who does that and you're like, this is really kind of rubbing me the wrong way and I'm not right, quite sure where it is. And then you're like, well, I wouldn't do that. Like, as a woman, I would not do that. You know, so you start thinking about some of these subtle things that are not necessarily represented in fiction that, like, little parts of being a woman that are kind of subtle or little parts that don't feel right and, uh, you know, it helps you kind of nail that down from like a fictional perspective because it is a lot of this stuff is subtle and it's very different it depends on the person but i do think gaming it out if you don't know like <laughs> as a creative exercise gaming it out helps with pretty much everything so we always recommend that okay mm -hmm. i think that's you know it's been an hour i think that's good mm -hmm. i'm sure you out there all of you are gonna have a lot of opinions on this either things that you have done to help you write female characters female characters who have really inspired you female characters you really like i'm sure a lot of you will have uh examples of female characters you have written uh, that we would love to hear about and, uh, you know, if you have a webcomic or something and some of the challenges that you dealt with. Um, I also really like when people have baggage, they talk about why they had that baggage. I have trouble writing female characters because blank, or even if you don't know, just, uh, the experience of some creator saying, I, you know, I always wrote female characters or I always didn't write female characters and then I grew up and something, you know, things happened and I moved away from this. That's always a really fascinating conversation because mm. it's, you know, how the fiction is re, that how the fiction is reflecting your development as a person and your view of gender in your life and in fictional ways. It's kind of like how when you're a kid and you're a little girl, they tell you like beauty is within, and then you hit puberty, and they're like, "But you got to put on some lipstick," you know? Like right, there, right, right. a lot of these really Better shape your legs. yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these transitions, especially if you were creating from a young age, seeing it reflected in your work, um, it's really interesting stuff. <laughs> Time to shave your legs, yeah. <laughs> Beauty's within, but don't you dare go out bare-legged without shaving your legs. Mm. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Lots to be said there. The patriarchy. Oh, patriarchy! Yes. Well, that's one of the things that I was very excited about with Hunger Games is I loved that section of the book where she talked about her legs. Like, she left oh, yeah. throwing out her leg yeah. hair because it was freezing and she was starving and that kind of helped. Yeah, this is discomfort with, like, the beautification process I always thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. interesting and, oh, yeah. So. And then the trailer for the movie had a leg waxing. Like You know, they showed her yeah. dolled up, and I'm like, oh, my God, the trailer has, like, the uncomfortable, non-consensual, like, leg waxing scene. I was like, yes, thank you, please. <laughs> like, let's actually discuss this, like, body hair is something that, why don't we ever discuss it at all? It's never questioned. <laughs> How come women from other eras are always hairless? How come aliens don't have any hair below the eyebrows? Like, just... But also have breasts, even though they're well, reptilian. Yeah, they also have breasts. Yep. <laughs> We're not mammals, but we have breasts. Like, yeah. Clearly. But... But that mistake, I understand a little better because people are like mammalian based, you know, like we are mammalian based species and they think that way. But like, the leg hair is something you're born with and you have your entire life. So the fact yeah, that like- It's another mammalian trait. Yeah. Like, how so. can you have breasts and no body hair? Like, I don't know. Just <laughs> anyway. At one point I really, I had like a, an idea in the back of my head for like, uh, a female werewolf story that involved the frustrations of like basically plucking your eyebrows and then you go through your transformation every month and then you can pluck your eyebrows again. So. But I can never really figure out how to like get it to work so I never did anything with it. But that, see, that's If anybody wants to do a female werewolf story struggling with the issues of body hair, let me know. Yeah, because you know, a lot of the Teen Wolf stuff, at least the original Teen Wolf was kind of, they were 
implications of puberty there. And I, I've heard yeah. that reference about like going through puberty, you go through your teen wolf phase <laughs> where it's like men growing weird hair all over the place. But yeah, like very rarely do you see female werewolves. And even if you do, they turn back into some skinny, hot, hairless girl again at the end. Uh, that's a really interesting they story. I kind of hang a lantern on that in Teen Wolf season, I don't know, I think it's two, um, where they get Erica, who's a female werewolf, um, who's kind of like, she's basically like the plain girl who nobody notices until she becomes a werewolf, and like, hmm. part of the werewolf transformation kind of makes her the hot girl, um, but she kind of struggles with it at the same time. She sort of doesn't know what to do with herself, um, mm-hmm. now that she's like, people are paying attention to her all of a sudden, and she's powerful, so... You've watched up um, through season two of MTV's Teen Wolf? <laughs> I've watched all the way through season two. I think I've watched some of season three. Oh. MTV's Teen Wolf has a lot to recommend it, let me tell you. <laughs> um, I, I, and not just a lot of shirtless guys. Um, it, it's not a perfect series, and I, I haven't gone sort of further than season three for various reasons, but uh, it's worth a shot. So, and actually... Speaking of shows that have pretty interesting female characters, one of my favorite characters in that show is she's like the hot girl, mean girl sort of bitch character, but she's secretly super fucking smart. And she's Mm -hmm. kind of like dumbing herself down for her hot boyfriend and eventually realizes what an idiot she's being by doing that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's this very satisfying moment where you haven't really known what to do with her all of season one. And then she kind of swoops in and saves the day. And I'm like, oh my God, there should be like eight times as much of that. <laughs> maybe twice as much of that. It's a little disappointing. Hmm. So I'm just surprised but, to find out that there are characters other than Derek and Styles making out in uh, that show because that's what Tumblr the fandom is, is about. Is really, really does the female characters a disservice because mm. Allison's really great, Lydia's really great, Erica's really interesting, Scott's mom is really great. So yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I think we should actually wrap this up now if that's okay. Okay, so uh, I think that is probably enough talking for one day. I'll say something different. Never enough talking. Never enough mm-hmm. talking. Well, okay, we could probably talk forever, but I think we need to cut this off and go get on with our <laughs> lives. If you have more, th- I mean, we could clearly talk about great female characters forever, and we would love to hear what your fev- favorite female characters are, just to even get like wrecks of more fun things to read. Uh, so you know, hit us up on social media. Uh, the clip you're about to hear is from Cat Lover Circumstances, which is one of our audio projects. The current audio project. The current audio project. Right so there's another chapter of that just coming out. And we hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll see you next month. Bye. 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 Last time on the Cat Lover Circumstances. Completely average college student Misaki Tanabe finds a talking cat. Oh no, I'm late for school! Ah! I'm the last of the great space cats. These are the diamond rainbow whiskers. Use them to transform into the legendary warrior, Magical Space Kitty. But I'm just a normal girl! Only you can stand against the forces of evil, Misaki. Meow meow! Load up! Charm Kitty Transformation! Wah! I'll save you! Wow! Who's that amazing girl? Is she here to rescue us? But just as Misaki learns of her destiny, grave danger is afoot! You will regret the day you crossed us, magical space kitty! Dog Lord Nishida, the Shadow Exploder is ready! Excellent! <laughs> will our hero save the day in time? Misaki!